Hello and welcome back to another Musicpreneur Movement episode. This is your host, Eddie V on the ones and twos. Hope you had a great weekend. Today on the show, we have Velody, and it was a super fun guest. She's really great. She does it all. She sings, she dances, she acts, she does comedy, the whole, just everything. She's also our first British guest that we've had, so that's a little trivia for you. So hello to our friends across the pond. And we'll be talking about what makes you unique in the business, how to make yourself stand out from the crowd, also how to value your craft, and how to find the low-hanging fruit to help you gain momentum, and also the importance of finding a mentor or a coach to help you stay focused on the prize and not get distracted, but actually reach your goals. So if you're not driving, make sure you grab a pen and paper, take some notes, and all right, let's get to it. Hit that intro. Have you ever looked in the mirror and wondered, yikes, I thought I'd be way farther ahead of my music career by now. If so, you're not alone. I spent the last few years learning from the most ingenious musicians and managers around, looking for the answers. The problem is that music is a very personal thing and the fear of rejection was holding me back, and you can probably relate to that. I realized that no one was talking about their failures and rejections in the music business, just the glory and fame. So I decided to press the reset button and start this whole music thing over, to go all out, build a music career completely from scratch. But the real question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey as we get to the deep questions with our guests that no one cares to ask, to reveal the secret strategies and techniques to skyrocket your music career and begin to shake up the music industry as we know it. My name is Eddie Villaseca, and this is Musicpreneur Movement Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Music Career Movement. Success in the music business can be tough at times for any artist. And on her journey to becoming the queen of ceremonies and renowned confidence coach, Felody has had her fair share of tough. She says, a great career in music isn't simply millions of fans or downloads. The key in becoming a sublime, unapologetic version of you that is fully expressed, creating with abandon and connecting with people globally. People can then truly appreciate your gifts, value your talent, and reward you by supporting your creativity. She now empowers others with the confidence to succeed by using her experience to guide and inspire. Wouldn't you rather learn from someone else's mistakes and have to make them yourself? I think so. Radio gigs to singing on TV to 5 million people, recording her album in one day, Velody has done it all. If we ask very nicely, she may just create a song for us live on air today, so we'll see. Without further ado, ahead of her upcoming EP, I would like to introduce you to Velody. How you doing, Velody? Woo! <laughs> I'm, <good. laughs> I'm like cheering along uh, to myself. I'm very excited to be here, Eddie, and uh, yeah, that intro is intense, but hey, you know, we're going to dig into it all, and I'm very, very excited to be here. Uh, what an exciting movement you're creating. Yeah, for those who might be new to the Velody world, can you tell us a little bit of your everyday life, kind of things you do, things you enjoy the most? 
I certainly can. Yes. <laughs> so you probably guessed, yeah, British accent. So yes, I'm across the ponds. I've had the great pleasure to tour in the States quite a few times, mostly teaching dance, but I have sung out there a little bit as well. I was one of those people that I grew up uh, with. My parents were in a folk band. And um, so I grew up with music all around me. My mum was really into people like Nina Simone, Billie Holiday. So I grew up listening to those amazing voices. And just there was that whole vibe around when I was a little kid. And I, I did some music training, uh, you know, I played things like flute and different things, but I didn't really, there wasn't really a place for me in that sort of classical world, you know, the, the whole discipline thing that I found that quite difficult. <laughs> and then I just kind of, I was in my own in my own world, doing my own thing for quite some time. And then much like a lot of the people tuning into the show now, they're, you know, in, in regular jobs and looking to transition out, you know, into music or, you know, from, from something else into music. And so I hit sort of early mid twenties, having done a degree or that sort of thing. And I was just like, you know what, when I'm really happy, when I'm really excited is when I write. And I always know in my life that if I'm producing songs and I'm writing songs and melodies, it's generally a good reflection. Uh, sometimes it's cathartic, but for the most part, I find that I'm humming something new or singing something new. And I realize that, you know, I need to get back into back into music. So I then did a popular music course, met some people because at the time... I wasn't really connected with anyone in the industry. You know, I'd not, I'd not done it for college. I'd not played in a garage band really or anything like that. I was kind of too, I don't know. I didn't really like, like when my voice came out of speakers, you know, <laughs> uh, now I love it. And oh my God, put me on a mic anywhere. Please blast me everywhere. I love it. But at the time, yeah, I was a bit wary of microphones and things like that. So to kind of fast and forward to today, uh, I did record my album in one day. You can check it at velody.bandcamp.com. I think we'll put it in the links. Um, and that album was recorded in one day. We did post-production the day after. So we didn't completely do a Beatles, you know, a Beatles first album, Please Please Me, was recorded in a day, which is why, of course, at the end of uh, Twist and Shout, John's voice is scratching and moaning because it's right at the end of the day, right? And it blasted out the entire album in one day. So, um, so we did do my album in one day. And so now, for me, it's a combination of when I feel inspired to write, I write. Uh, when I want to collaborate, I reach out to people that I do know in the industry. I definitely kind of interweave it with other things that I like. And I think personal development is really important for me. I think managing my energy as a creative inclined person is huge. And it's probably one of the most important things I think you can learn to do as a creative because, you know, as it said in the intro, we we know many, many artists over the years that the, the peaks and troughs, you know, the craziness in the fame and then the desperation in the kind of not fame or when you're not on stage can hurt people, you know, and, and it, it can be a lot to manage. So yeah, I spend a lot of time helping some other people manage that for themselves. And yeah, just being improvising various anecdotes and limericks and different things, depending on what mood I'm in. So, <laughs> um, yeah. You mentioned you got a degree. Was that at all? No, <laughs> no. So, uh, so I did a French degree, obviously, like you do. Uh, so I'd, I'd gone to France when I was a 10 year old and I've really loved the language. And again, this does fit into how I'm able to do improv. I'm reasonably good at accents and good at putting stories and things together quickly and interweaving things. So, cause I relate to the world through sound. So I liked the way the French language sounded. I learned it by basically sort of getting it in my mouth that sounds really weird <laughs> but, but um, your British accent sounds pretty on point um 
Thank you. So, so um, yeah, yeah French, <laughs> French, it did mean that I could live in Paris for a year, which that's pretty cool. But that's it. My home has always been to come back to singing, to creating with words, to weaving stories together. And that empathy to get into a story or get in a mindset or get into uh, whether it be writing from someone else's point of view or character or on a theme even. So although I've done different things, it's always been consistently around, as I say, weaving together words, sounds, concepts, feelings and wrapping them in different ways. So it's, yeah, it's all kind of linked. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever write songs in French? haven't yet but I may maybe I put a few lines in there I certainly uh, I certainly could but no mostly in, in English is usually the safest but still I have to say we can do some examples but like moving words around a little bit so for example when people come to my one woman show uh, it's a live obviously it's a live gig and half of it is songs that I've improvised or made up over the years and I'll tell a little bit of a story about it so for example at the last show then it was just a few months before lockdown happened so I told the story of this early song that I'd written for Amnesty International and I'm quite method in my songwriting so I was writing as some of you probably know Amnesty International is like for prisoners of conscience and they they kind of look after and advocate for people that are fighting and for human rights around the world. So I was like, okay, this concert is in aid of that, which is quite like a difficult subject, right? It's not sort of jaunty, you know, boinking around subject. So, but yeah, so I, there was method in it. So I'm like 17 years old going, okay, I really want to do this well. How would this even work? And so I basically went into my room, turned the light off, locked the door, sat on my bed and just went, right, okay, I'm in a cell. How do I feel? What's going on? Then this just this line came out and it was like, somewhere there's a candle burning for me. I know I must believe it. And kind of the whole, like the whole song just wrote itself basically. And then I had to like put the light back on and start, you know, start writing it down. So, um, so songs tend to come to me like that in a conceptual. So I just try and bring things together. So at the show, what we did was I said, okay, let's mix some songwriting with also like heckling, like a comedy gig, which bear with me. Okay. So (laughs) when people came in, we gave them like piece of paper and a sharpie okay and they had to write down uh they could write down a word or a concept or something so I didn't know what it was going to be and then I sang all my songs and then the finale I said okay everybody have you got have you all got a word right and they'd all they'd all written a word on a piece of paper and so in true improv style I had them like hold up all the pieces of paper and then I put on this like backing track that we'd made and I just had to make a song out of what everyone had written and so, I mean, I don't really remember most of it now, but I remember we had a haunted hotel, RuPaul, something like a book in a holiday or something like that. And then hell. Okay. So we had haunted house, hell, RuPaul and holiday. So like, how do you put that into a sentence? How do you sing that? So this is what I came up with. When I was booking my holiday tour and never asked for a haunted house. Or RuPaul's Hotel. But that don't mean that they didn't send me there. Oh yeah, don't you know that I was in here? 
so each bit that, that's how I do it so and it's when I'm in the zone and we can get to like how artists get in the zone because I think it's an important topic so we can do some uh, a little bit of work on that tonight but I think the biggest thing for me was understanding what is it that I've got you know what is it that I can do that not everyone else can do right so do you have a fantastic range do you have amazing control can you play really fast can you play really slow are you able to improvise really well can you memorize really well can you zone in and encourage others what is the thing what is the creative artistic thing that you have that's a great point because most people focus on what other artists do and they're like okay I wish you know I could do this and I could do that and they don't understand that all those artists are finding what's unique for them and that's what brings people to them because they want to see something new they don't want to see the same thing over and over again because that would be boring if you went to a music festival and you just saw the same voice like if you closed your eyes to the same person like that wouldn't be fun. And so that's a great point that you just brought up. So with the lockdown and all those things, how have you shifted? First thing I did was I, you know, had to cancel everything. So that was, you just have to deal with the emotions of like, it isn't going to be like it was. So I think, and and I don't want to gloss over that because I think for artistic and creative people, unless you're a massive artist now with a massive following, you have had to get quite wiggly and quite canny and maybe learn new platforms and learn new ways of doing things. So the first thing was, yeah, to just kind of process that, oh, the show that I was geared up for, it's not going to happen. So then I just set about thinking, well, what else can I do? So yeah, I I, st- I got this, I ended up buying this suit. It's like a shiny suit. You can't really see, but it's a shiny jumpsuit. And I just started doing like l- live little gigs. It might be three songs, two songs, five songs, just dedications, speaking to people who tuned in and stuff like that. And so I did that for like the first bit, probably like six, eight weeks or something of lockdown. And just, yeah, I just enjoyed it. I learned bits piano I generally don't try to inflict too much of my piano playing on anybody (laughs) but um, I managed to do a little bit uh, without without too much carnage yeah so I think it it was marrying sort of still feeding my own creative outlet trying to make sure I didn't kind of fall off the radar for people that like to follow me and want to know what I'm doing and you know, I have some regular, obviously regular fans that they always buy things, you know, if I bring out, like I did an ebook about dancing and they all bought that or um, a course about dancing and they all buy that or, you know, my album or um, if I do videos and different things and little courses, they always want to join in. And so it's that balance of what do I feel inspired to do? And then I do really want to show up and be there for the people that have supported me. So it's kind of sometimes when I feel like, oh, I don't know if I want to perform tonight. I definitely had a few times when I was like, well, I think there's people who want to hear it. And even if I've not had a great day, or even if I think, oh, will I will I be able to do something fun or will it be good enough? But I think just pushing through that and saying, well, worst that can happen is I do it and it's just there for posterity or you can delete it. But often, what nearly, nearly, you know, always what would happen is people would tune in and say, oh, we're so glad you came on and, you know, we really enjoyed it. Or they, I'd sing them like a little dedication or something and they'd kind of get into it. So sure. I just think that's what lockdown's really done. I think that the good side of it is that we've all had to get back to, as you were saying before, like, what am I really about? What's really important to me? Whether it be unique skills or, you know, what do I want to do with my life? Because a paycheck is great, but we're not on the planet that long. So it's nice to you know, leave other legacies, I think as well. Yeah, completely agree. And it's interesting because with music and things like that, it's, you could be having a bad day and there's like that balance of 
okay, I'm having a bad day, but I'm going to choose to be selfless during this time because I know people mm -hmm. might need this. Mm -hmm. So you perform, but then it's also the balance of mm -hmm. taking care of yourself so that you can perform for those people. And you mentioned dancing also. Are you doing more dancing now? My favorite, favorite thing is to get on stage and basically prance around. And sometimes I'm dancing and sometimes I'm singing and sometimes I'm talking and sometimes it's improv and, and interacting. But yeah, so the dancing is, for me as well, I always used to say, so let's say you're you're listening to a band and there's like uh it's like a there's four people in the band, right? So I would be like, well, as a dancer, I want to kind of be the fifth member of the band. Right. So I would be dancing near the stage. I'd always be picking up rhythms that they're doing. I'm like watching the soloists. I'm looking at them like who, who's on next, you know, because I don't know if you know much about dancing, but there's partner dancing where you're dancing, you know, two people. There's a lead and a follow. So one of my favorite things is to is to lead to like a, a band, you know, and you just got to watch what the musicians are doing. And I'm like, I just I want to lead moves. Uh, and do things that are really going to bring like the song and uh, you know the live performance to to life. So yeah, it mm -hmm. that is something that brings you know brings me a lot of joy. And uh, and I have had the fortune to do um, to host events where you know I was I was singing, my band was playing, and I might have taught that weekend as well. And so that's that was really fun, and you end up creating it. And then as you say, it's balancing that with let's say you're really good at an instrument, but you don't necessarily want to do it for money or you don't you know you don't want to perform it and that's fine like you could completely do that you know just play your piano on your own in your own time and have it as a relaxing thing right but I think um but if, if you do want to like monetize your skills if you do want to get into the business then as we talked about one of the most important things is to get a little bit of a handle on what's your vibe you know what are you about is there a really sort of you know like Lady Gaga or Madonna or somebody like that like there's a really or you know even um David Byrne is it from Talking Heads right with the big suit and stuff so or you know Ziggy Stardust David Bowie right what's the the thing do you really get into costume do you like me do you weave improv into it obviously you want to get end up getting really good right of course you don't want to be doing substandard work right but, but like before worrying about if you're good enough you you want to still give things a go so I think you know whether it be just playing for yourself or posting things online and seeing if things come back and I I think there's a lot around energy just before lockdown started, I was considering doing that. Well, I, I have an act that I do. It's like I dress up as a Southern Belle. I won't embarrass myself with an American accent on your show right now, but it, it's okay. And um, so I was starting to do, like I said, let's go out onto this circuit, right? Onto the um, open mic circuit, you know, where non-professionals get three, you know, three songs or five minutes or what have you on a mic. And it's a bit of an apprenticeship. Uh, and a lot of artists, some artists will start there, you know, some start with busking, right? Some start with going on these and are spotted. Some people just use it as a platform to get comfortable on stage, you know. So that's like, if you're still really early and thinking, I want to get into it, but what would I do? Going to something like an open mic or there's probably virtual equivalents now, if you were to look in your area, maybe at poetry clubs or poetry slams or you know comedy venues or other venues like that they often host things of that nature where you could get up and do a couple of minutes spoken word or sometimes you could be creative here like I did my act but I took it to a comedy club but I was kind of dressed up so it kind of gave me that 
you know, it gave me something a little bit different. Like it was comedy, but I was in a character and it just made people's heads turn a little bit. Uh, the same thing when I did the same thing at an open mic, it wasn't exactly like everybody else. Right. So that's the thing is look, for, look for places where you can firstly go and essentially do your apprenticeship, but in front of usually nice crowds as well. That's the other thing with open mics. It's usually filled with other people and the parents and friends of other people that are just starting out as well. So usually the audiences are quite nice, right? Uh, whereas if you go to yeah a comedy club, like the audience is quite brutal. So just you know, just know what you're know what you're up for, right? But it's definitely worth exploring those kind of opportunities where you just get used to playing, you get used to what to do with a microphone, like close to it, further away. How does that all work? Navigating your way around a busy stage, you know, and not tripping up over things, things like that. And the other thing is for a lot of people, it's having everyone look at you. Because, I mean, I love that, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, you know, I didn't always love it. And a lot of performers don't, that's not necessarily what they're in it for. You know, I know we hear all this press about self-obsessed and pop stars and they're just kind of, you know, want everyone's attention and, and it's all, you know, entourage and hangers on and all this kind of ego and stuff. But there is a little bit of some comfort zones there. So if you are looking to become a good, valuable brand name for want of a better phrase in the industry then you want to start ticking a few boxes so that when you do meet or when you get a chance to collaborate with people a little bit more up the food chain you've already you know you've started to do these things like say, so you started to see how you react on a microphone and you know how close or how far away you need to be to it you've started to understand how things work on a stage you started to understand how loud they might talk at some venues or how much or how little they might clap or not at some venues, right? You just start to get this feeling of understanding how audiences work and how these things put together. And I mean, Ricky Gervais, you've probably heard of him, right? Famous comedian. And he, when he is testing a new joke, right, he will go to small clubs of 50 or 100 people when he first does, does the line or does the story. And he says, because... Once you get to 100 people, it's roughly the same percentage. So if it hits with 100, it's going to hit in a bigger venue. And if it doesn't hit with 100, it's probably not going to, right? But he gets to see, uh, you know, he might, like something might get a little bit of a laugh. So he'll kind of go into that more. So it's the same as, as a musician. You'll start to learn um, if you, and if you don't know this already, again, I was studied music a long time. So there's maybe some other things that we can go to in another episode uh, where we get more into the specifics of, you know, music theory or how you can use song construction, you know, understanding tension and release in music, building up into a crescendo, leaving and wanting more, right? All those sorts of things. Some people are born with a little bit of, you know, Freddie Mercury is somebody, if you've watched the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, you can, I mean, obviously it's a bit awkward at first, but you can see there's that showman in him and he starts to really embrace who he is even though it's very different to everybody else and it's a bit awkward and clunky at first, right? So yeah, that's what I would say. If you're thinking about going uh, or you, you, you really, you know, you want to get into the industry, you definitely want to look for some low-hanging fruit opportunities where you can perform in front of um, some nice crowds and try out what you yeah. do. And you'd be surprised the first few times you perform what might make you nervous, you might not think it would, 
but sometimes it can. So you want to, you definitely want to start building up that muscle of I've done what I've done. I've practiced what I've done. I know what I've done. And then there's, you can know it inside and out and you think, you know, it inside and out. And then you're on a stage where the things are different. This, you can't hear the sound properly. There's disruptions and, you know, there's a lot to kind of start to manage. So that's a great yeah, point it, because, it, you know, kind of like you were saying, there could be things that you didn't know would make you scared or fumble on some kind of word or something. But the other good thing is that mm-hmm. a lot of times you're all very critical of something super small and you might be blowing mm-hmm. it up. But now being out there and performing in front of people, you can have people tell you, oh, hey, I really liked it when you did this. Oh, okay, interesting. I didn't think it was good. Oh, well, yeah, it was good when you did this. Oh, okay. And you start kind of taking notes. And uh, I mean, that thing that you mentioned about Ricky, Jerry Seinfeld also mm-hmm. mentioned that. And I guess a lot of comedians do mm-hmm. that. They go test out material. There's a DJ, Armin Van Buren. He also talks about the same thing. Like he likes to test out certain melodies, certain songs and see how they do in different crowds and then go tweak certain things and then actually use those for the end product. And so I think it's really important, as you're saying, to not only know your strengths, but then also get out there and throw that tough skin in a little bit. I know it's hard for people because it's your baby. It's hard. It's really a personal thing but also learning how it can touch someone mm-hmm. differently than you even thought possible and really embracing that. And I think that's really cool. There's some great points. So going back to, yeah. I'm actually pretty curious about the movie scene. Yeah. How did you end up getting that gig? Yes. Um, I, yeah, they were most, to be fair, the most of the, the TV and uh, show stuff I've done is, uh, as a dancer, the one for Home Fires was as a singer, but it's again through through agents that I knew and just kind of sending my band forward for it and and going for it and and you know, charging rates that were a bit scary to me. That's the other thing. I think one of the things as you transition from somebody who loves what they do and it's a bonus if you get paid to then actually know this is my life now and this is my livelihood. So again, it's another area that as sometimes as creatives, we're not necessarily the best at putting a value or putting a high value, particularly if we love what we do. We can be like, well, I would do it anyway, but like, or what's the going rate or what will get them to book me rather than thinking I'm worth this. So, and that's something that, again, just as, a, as an artist, you, you, you navigate it. You know, when you're brand new in the industry, you can't command the same fees as, you know, as a Bob Dylan or, you know, as a Prince or. Yeah, let's talk about that one a little bit. Like, when did you know kind of to value your art a specific way? Because I know many people are starting out or people that are transitioning into music from another career. They're not used to seeing music be valued as much as you're mentioning. You know, they kind of see it, oh, I'm getting to do what I want. And that's, I feel like that's the thing that scares most people because they don't see the value that people see as compared to like a normal job. You know, a normal job, you get an hourly rate, salary type of thing, and you know how much you're going to get. But with music, you know, that might be the the thing that's hard for them to understand. Absolutely. So the first thing is you can, if you have any friends that are full-time musicians, and I had actually, just by that time, I was seeing a guy who was a professional piano player and he was in, I think, three different bands and he taught 
as well. But he didn't have any worry in charging pretty high rates at that point. But again, that's because he'd obviously proven what they could do. So I think there's a few different ways to approach it. One is you can have like a stepped approach, right? So you can do your first engagement, you can charge, go from where maybe you're going from like nothing to charging something. So at that point, you're going to do quite a small step. So it might be like, you know, it'd be 50 bucks, 50 pounds or like 100, right? It's, it's just steps you from not literally nothing to something, right? And then what you can do is each next engagement, you could you just add like a 20 or a 50 or a something right and you can just step it up until it's not each one it's not a bigger increase really like 20 pounds more 20 bucks more isn't actually a lot but obviously within the space of a few months your rates will have gone up and each time you've got that little bit better as well so that's like a that's like one which sounds easy and you have to like remember to do it but but that's that's one way um the other way is just to charge scary ass rates from the beginning and you just hold on until the right clients will pay that, right? So you can focus on either whether it be high-end private clients or corporate clients that tend to have a larger budget. Let's say if you're in the jazz world, obviously, if you're playing in a jazz club, unless you're a big name, you're developing your career at that point. So they're not going to be giving you like thousands of dollars, right, to perform a couple of sets in a jazz club not least because dozens and dozens and dozens of other people want the opportunity to be on the stage to build their portfolio that are going to do it for free right so if they're nearly as good as you unless you have a name there's no monetary sense there so the key thing is to understand that for the venue it is a business right for the promoter it's a business so the more seriously you take your brand and your fan base and your performance and everything that you bring to the table And the more you do on your side to increase reach, bring more people in, right? Social engagement, reaching, everything you do that's not to do with being a good musician, right? (laughs) Which is the kicker for some people. They're very good at what they do, but they're maybe not so good at the other stuff. So yeah, you've got to think of what else, like we talked about before with the uniqueness, as well as your uniqueness. If you're really good at promotion, for example, so maybe you're not the best singer ever, but you can get bums on seats, you can get people enthused, you can get people going, you, you, people just seem to want to come and find out what's going on. That's a bit of a star quality there, you know, so it's understanding where you fit in the industry. So if you're just like super, super amazingly virtuoso at what you do, then it's just about proving that to the highest possible level. And again, trying to brand build around that virtuosity, right? And if you're you're not at that and you, you split your time between performing really well and, as I say, brand building and, and looking around and trying to collaborate and that, then you've got to think, what value are you giving to the promoter or the party planner or the wedding crowd, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to just leave people with, and again, this comes back to the empathy. You always want to think from the other person's point of view, right? What would it make it a no brainer for them to work with me? Right? So what would I, what would, what did they need? Like what's on their mind? So for example, for a wedding band, it's not that you can play all the songs, right? That, cause we want you to, play, you should know them anyway, right? It's what, what's the equipment? Is it insured? Right? Is it going to be loud enough? Are you going to turn up on time? 
Are you going to take requests? Are you going to play our first dance properly? It's that sort of thing. So if you're trying to create, uh, carve out something for yourself in the industry, if you don't need cash right now, then again, you can experiment a little bit. If you do uh, and you need to go for the paying gigs, then that's what you have to do. You have to think, what's the highest value thing that I can contribute for someone else and who's got that budget? And how can I help them solve a problem? It's like a talent, uh, like an agency needs to have acts and they need to send out acts regularly. They used to, right? Pre, pre COVID. Um, so yeah. So it's like you. It's like solving someone else's problem. Yeah, that's good. So let's say you were to start your whole music career over. Mm-hmm. The reason I asked that is because many listeners are transitioning mm-hmm. from another area. It might be engineering, something not music related. So if you were to start over, what would be the first step that you would take? I would listen less to people who hadn't done it. So people who hadn't done it, who had opinions about it and didn't like certain things that I wanted to try or wanted to do, I would have given much, much less credence to them. And I would spend much more time on looking at the career paths and the choices of other successful people before me. How did they do it? And not in terms of copying their talent or copying their, like we talked about before. It's not about, well, I want to be the next Beyonce, right? But it's like, what sorts of things did she do? Not exactly who she is. That's the biggest thing. So stop listening to people who've never made it in the industry, who don't know what it's like, who haven't made an artistic career. Stop listening to them and start listening to people who have, you know, have mortgages, have lives, have pension plans, uh, have investment portfolios and are creative people and have made it work. And it's interesting because... I like reading biographies, things like that. Like, lets you see what kind of person you would want to be, but then it lets you see where they started mm-hmm. from. And it's interesting seeing how they got to point B from point A and all the things that they went through. But not many people talk about that, or not many people care to even know those things. You know, you see people on TV, you're like, oh, they're famous. It's because they're so and so. You don't have to make those mistakes that they made. You know, you can learn from them and they can carry you to that next level. So talking about that, do you think finding a mentor, finding a coach take you there is something that's really important? You definitely need to be, you know, working with somebody who's got your interests, you know, understands what you're trying to do. And also, as you say, that can provide that pathway that from where you are to building that bridge to going to where you want to be. And so they need to be able to kind of, whether it's a question of reverse engineer, you know, what kind of career do you want? And let's step it out and let's go backwards, right? So you want the kind of career like X superstar. These are the things that need to be in place, right? And I wanted to say one thing as well about kind of stardom or whatever you like, whatever we call success. The, one of the biggest things that the biggest stars have it's the discipline and it's the focus on the prize, eyes on the prize. It's very difficult in our society now with our scrolling culture, right? Of like next, 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 scroll, scroll. But yeah, one of the biggest things, and it certainly was a hindrance to me. I mean, I talked about all the mistakes I've made. Like there's been so many times in my life when I've, you know, I've not been disciplined. I've not been focused. 
I've been a good person. Don't get me wrong. I've been, I've been dedicated in my own way. You know, I've shown up in my own way. I've had integrity and I've done like lots of things and I've, you know, I try to do, do my best, but there's definitely been times where I haven't just been, had that singularity of focus of like, I'm going to play a Hollywood ball by the age of this in front of this many people or whatever it might be. So that's another thing that coaches help with is like, let's get crystal clear. You know, if you I mean, we have a venue, you know, you've got Madison, Madison Square Gardens or Albert Hall or something in, in, in London, get really specific. I want, you know, I want to sell X number of records or I want to perform at this type of ceremony. The more, 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 more specific you can be and the more focused because I saw there was a documentary and it was it was a sort of behind the scenes with Beyonce and it was kind of halfway through I would say probably halfway between she was early Destiny's Child and now there was a bit in, a bit of choreography in a video where she basically had to do like a back salt like a back somersault but from the floor like from standing mm -hmm. on well sitting on the floor flip and get back up again and this you know choreographer person showed her how it was and then they just sort of went away and it was like she was in the back of the shop but she was doing it again and again and again and failing again and failing again and failing again and failing you know like a dozen 20 30 40 50 times until she got it that's the dedication and the discipline right it it can hurt i mean some of her dance routines would hurt so obviously you know do that <laughs> right but but the, the point being yeah. she's not just there because she's a great singer discipline yeah like you're saying it's the culture now we have I mean, some people call it the microwave culture. We just, when things instant and boom, popcorn's out, but they don't know how long it takes mm. to actually get there. And yeah, for some people, it might be not as long as other people. Success is inevitable. The only thing that's the variable is time. You know, like you'll get there. You just have to show up every day. And it's the thing I've noticed, even from whatever thing I've done, if I don't show up constantly, I'll either feel it or someone else will be like, hey, I, you know, kind of like you were mentioning, like someone will bring it up, be like, hey, I didn't see you here. I didn't, that brings the point of having accountability because you have someone like a coach or someone like that that keeps you accountable to make sure that you show up and get those goals that you're saying. So that's really good. It is a huge part of it. And I think, you know, as well, I mean, for me, I, make as much stuff as I can in my life like a game I make things into a game like oh I wonder if I could or could we do this mm -hmm. right and I'll, I'll just I'll just it just sort of activates a part of my brain in a different way than yeah. oh god I have to do this and so mm -hmm. um so yeah just kind of putting a, l a little bit of either competition in it or making it a game or something like that and because ultimately this whole thing this whole like charade of life right it's we're we're in a trance basically and most of what we do is automated. It's automatic. We do it without thinking, right? Most because, you know, from survival to, to eating, to breathing, to driving somewhere, you don't necessarily remember all the places on the route because you just sort of did it. So up to 95% of what we do is not conscious. So it's like understanding that and that we're kind of in a trance anyway. So all you want to do is just choose the state of trance that you're in. So it's an empowering one like a can-do attitude or as I like to call with my clients a can-can-do attitude because it makes me think of can-can dancers which makes me smile right and then any <laughs> any task is less daunting when you just think we could be doing the can-can now 
Right. I just kind of work with that and go, what do I need to do with my brain now? Like, is my brain a bit freaked out? How can I kind of soften it? Or how can I help it break down this really big thing? Or how can I encourage myself? Or like I say, manage my energy in such a way, whereas uh, we're going to be on the same team rather than like berating myself. Like I know I said about discipline, but again, you make it a game. Keep rolling the dice until I win rather than, oh my God, I hate doing this. Yeah. And it's funny that you brought that up about seeing it as the game. I actually started thinking about that maybe like a couple of months ago about how when you're a little kid, so I have a one-year-old son and it's just fun seeing him learn new things and just like everything he does, like he never quits. Like he, if he wants something, he keeps going for it. He can fall on his face, he can hit things and he's determined to do it. And he has fun with it. Like he just will laugh and then, but I started thinking about how if you think about it, like you mentioned earlier, we're not here for that long. I actually thought about this <laughs> a couple of days ago when I was throwing the trash away. I was like, you know, I'm like a third of the way through my life right now. And it's like, do I want, what do I want to be doing? Like, do I, most people will focus on, we got to make money. We got to do this. We got to do that. And it doesn't make it as fun. And so a couple of months ago, I remember thinking, it's interesting how when we get older, we don't see things as fun. We're like, hey, we have to do this because we got to make money so we can provide for the family. We can do this. But if we just make it fun, yeah, life is hard anyway. So it's like, why not find a game to play and you try something and you fail? Okay, cool. It's not like you're going to die or anything. Like you just keep going, you get up, try something else. And it's just been fun just seeing, think about that, but then also seeing it on my kid, like just heel failing, but he, you know, he's walking now. So he tried a bunch of times and now he's walking and it's just cool to think about that mm-hmm. and kind of like you mentioned like it's fun to make it into a game and that that's what makes a discipline hard you know so that's really cool that you also brought that up so we're at the part of a show where I like to ask we call it the mixer lightning round oh, gosh okay one day one day we'll have like some sound effects or something so it's just gonna be a back and forth boom 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 okay <laughs> answer these things quickly okay so what was your first car my first car uh, it was a metro. It was three hundred pounds, and it was blue. A metro? Wait, like the small metros? Uh, like, the- like um, yes. I don't know if you have them in the states. I don't know. It's like British, like a Rover car or something. It's small. Like, what sort of size? Uh, you have you have like massive cars in America. Think of like a really small European car. Like a Geo Metro? Is that the kind? The, a different metro? Like, was it like a two? Two door? Yeah, two door, yeah. Well, three because it had a hatchback, right? So three. Uh, yes. Had- One of my friends had a car like that. <laughs> I think once, like, I got my keys the wrong way around. I think I had to break into that, or maybe it was the next car. <laughs> I broke- no, I broke into my next car, which was a Micra. Uh-huh. Uh, I broke into the back of that with my front door key. So, no, yeah, wow. I was <laughs> crazy time for me. Uh, that is a crazy time but yeah my friend had a metro and it was it was pretty tiny i mean i'm pretty tiny so Um, it's okay yeah it's (laughs) so what instrument do you wish you could play oh oh my god so like drums are amazing i can sort of do a basic thing like i reckon i could just about do a gig on a cajon like sat on a cajon just about doing stuff um i mean piano is amazing in it because i can play like three like very very basic but yeah, 
I'm not answering these very fast, am I? Sorry. <laughs> so drums or piano? Oh. One of those. Two. Do I have to choose between? I'll let you. I'll let okay, you. Okay, good. I mean, not at the same time. Okay. But hey, maybe. If you could have a song play every time you enter a room. Oh, I like Shine Years and Years. That song. Okay. Like we can. Um, I don't know if it was a big hit in the states, but it's like a. It's a got a really good chorus. It's like boom. Like it's really good. Yeah, it's bangly and it's shine. What is a, a secret talent that you have? I am kind of a bit of a ninja talking about cars. Like I'm a bit of a ninja parker. Like I can really like park, really, like <laughs> reverse park really, really well. Like I'm not going to say for a woman because that would be sexist. But yeah, I'm pretty mean at that. Um, other talents. I guess if you have small cars, you can do that. <laughs> oh, well, no, this is, you know. You know uh, kind of like the Italian <laughs> joint. Just... Um, yeah, true. Yeah, true. Okay. So um, I must have some other talents. I don't know. Like, I mean, that's a pretty good talent. I'd go with that. I'm quite good. I mean, I'm reasonably okay. good at cooking as well. I don't know. Not doing well on this. <laughs> Next question. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Oh, gosh. But um, I think it's an amalgamation of, yeah, just like, focusing on becoming the best version of me and like just not like not getting drawn away with everything else and just trying to go back to the essence of me I think and what is the worst piece of advice you ever received oh yeah well I okay this is a music related so there was a businessman who uh, I'd met well not I'd not met at a party that sounds wrong but like he was related to someone I knew and we were wanting to record uh, some music and he basically he'd heard me sing and he was like really supportive and he said oh I'll, like how much is it how much is it going to cost like I'll sort that for you and then mm -hmm. I went back to uh the person that at the time I was living with who didn't have a career uh in the industry and basically was like well you know it just kind of like trying to talk me out of it like you don't want to be taken why would you take money from like this businessman like you want to make it like properly like proper musicians and then it took me you know years to to kind of get back around to to doing a whole album so that was like not good <laughs> not good so what are big I mean this is just you can actually this one's a long okay. one so what are big goals some big goals that you're looking to achieve within the next 12 to 24 months yeah so um I really want to be in a position where whether it be YouTube or through a streaming service, um, I get to do these shows where, as I say, it's a combination of improvising dedications for people live on the show, uh, doing something around music craft and like how to craft a song um, and banter, you know, maybe some characters and things like that. And just generally entertaining people, but being me doing that and getting to express that obviously in front of a growing audience. So my YouTube is is doing reasonably well. We're just over a thousand followers at the moment, and getting on doing that or doing it on a platform like on a streaming platform would be mm -hmm. like that's really where I'm looking to go in like the one to two years. Yeah. Is there a name for your show? So, well, previously I've used Velody's Review, which is where I do different characters, or obviously this was the one woman show as well, or it's also spend the night with Velody as well. So. You guys can vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, great. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Yeah. No. Well, I just wanted to say that it's been really fun, you know, obviously get digging into this. And yeah, I definitely think that we can uh, do more fun stuff. And I always seek to, you know, be of value, be of service, kind of, you know, 
if one thing I said tonight resonated for somebody, like I will be very, very, you know, very, very gratified with that. And we had a giggle, if not, so that's that was good too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been really good. Actually, last thing, um, how can I be praying for you? Um, how? Um, I don't think anyone's asked me. Rarely am I lost for what to say. You, I think you have actually, you've got me there for a second. I don't know, I guess... Yes, it's staying staying in this zone that we're in now, you know, and, and keeping that energy, praying that I can keep that throughout the week. So when I'm very busy and other things happen, that I still, you know, that I'm still working towards that uh, one to two year goal. Because I really think that um, I really enjoy it and I know other people enjoy it. And, you know, sometimes when you're trying to build these things on your own with the challenges, you know, to still to still keep connected and still do a really powerful and professional looking and professional feeling show. So yeah, I guess that I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I love to do is just pray. I'll probably do a few shows just kind of showing like what I've seen God do. Like it's been really fun. And I think that's something that I just, I mean, I just enjoy doing that for people. And I think it's really important. So yeah, I'm going to pray for you real quick. Joe, thank you for today. Thank you for Valerie and for our friendship. I pray that you um, are with her, that you protect her. I pray that you provide the great opportunities for her to launch her show and stay focused, uh, to use the gifts that you've given her. And I pray that you just continue to work in her, bring the right people around her, uh, open and close the doors that you want her to take. And uh, thank you again for this time together. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Velody, great to have you. Where can someone reach you if they wanted to reach out to you? Yeah, so it's pretty easy. It's Velody Official. Uh, that's on Instagram. And I don't really do Twitter, but you, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> I'm basically never on there. Um, and <laughs> so it's very quiet. Um, and um, so, yeah, LinkedIn, I don't know if any people would be on there. And my Facebook, of course, is just Velody. So, okay. Um, and you mentioned your YouTube. Is that one also valid? Yeah, 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 exactly. That's the one I was thinking of. I'm like, there's another one. Which one is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the platforms. Uh, but yeah, Velody official, uh, as I say, except for Facebook, which is just Velody. And yeah, it would be great to obviously connect with any of your guys and any of them, you know, anything that has we've um, brought up for anybody or anything that they found useful, of course, where, you know, yeah, you can slide into DMs no problem with you. yeah it was super fun velody so we'll have you back soon and uh we'll we'll talk to you we'll talk to you then fantastic wasn't that great if you learned something make sure you share this episode with someone you care about if you have any further questions you can message us on instagram at musicpreneur movement and also make sure you subscribe to the podcast because there will be many great episodes coming up so we'll see you next week